Okay, we're in Isaiah chapter 18 tonight, if you'd like to open up there. And we're actually going to cover two chapters. We're going to cover chapter 18 and chapter 19. Chapter 18 is a very short chapter. It's only seven verses. And then chapter 19 is, oh, let's see. Chapter 19 is about 25 verses. But um, we're going to get through chapter 18 and 19 tonight. And again, this is a continued listing from the prophet Isaiah of the oracles or the judgments of God against the nations that surrounded Israel and Judah uh, in Isaiah's time. Some of the judgments came soon after Isaiah prophesied. Some of the judgments uh, are yet future, as we've seen. Some of them actually look forward into the tribulation period. For example, with Babylon, as you remember, Babylon had a localized judgment of God, and then they have a future judgment because it's going to be a future Babylon, an economic Babylon in the last days. And the harlot, uh, the whore of Babylon of Revelation, also is going to be burned with fire in the last days. And so Isaiah is the prophet of God who God Uh, He's the seer, he's the prophet, he's the one that God showed the future to. Isaiah didn't understand probably a lot of what he was writing, but he wrote it down for us. And some of it was fulfilled uh, 2,700 years ago when he wrote it. Some of it has not yet been fulfilled. And we're going to continue to see how there is a contemporary fulfillment of many of these prophecies that were fulfilled in Isaiah's lifetime or shortly thereafter. Uh, And yet there are other prophecies still yet to be fulfilled that we're going to come across here this evening uh, in the future that have still not happened. So specifically, chapter 18 is the judgment or the oracle or the proclamation against Ethiopia. And then chapter 19 is the proclamation or the burden or the oracle or the judgment against Egypt. And so, again, it's the nations that surround and that have dealings with and influence over God's people, Israel and Judah. And so, verse 1, we read this of Isaiah 18. Woe to the land, shadowed with buzzing wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. So, these... This judgment is against, actually, Cush is the name of the nation. Cush doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Now, the land mass that was Cush uh, is modern-day Ethiopia, Sudan, and southern Egypt. That used to all be called Ethiopia. Matter of fact, if you look at an old map, a map back in the 1400s to 1500s, even into the 1600s, before the British went in and started to carve up Africa, Uh, in the 1800s, you see that Ethiopia really encompassed almost all of East Africa. You didn't have all the little nations making up East Africa 500 years ago. It was all considered Ethiopia. And so um, this is who God is speaking about. Modern day Ethiopia, uh, Sudan, uh, and uh, southern Egypt. And this is a proclamation of God against them. Now, some people wonder if God really actually judges nations based on how they treat Israel. And that the amazing thing is, is not only does the Bible teach that God judges the nations who hurt Israel or harm Israel or attack Israel, but he also blesses the nations that help Israel. This is what the Bible teaches. And it's absolutely true if you study the Bible and you study the prophecies and then you study the prophecies being fulfilled— Uh, in ancient times, in ancient history, um, or you could just look at modern times and you could see the exact same thing. Now, God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, when he gave the blessing to Abraham, the Abrahamic blessing, uh, he said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And so from the very beginning, when God called Abraham in order to call Israel into existence as a nation, He laid the foundation. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the whole earth uh, on account of you through your seed. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. But he gave this promise to Abraham. I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I am going to curse those who curse you. Now, God also confirmed this in the law through the prophet 
Moses in Deuteronomy, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, I'll read this to you. God says this about Israel in verse 7, Deuteronomy 32, 7. He says, remember the days of old and consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you and elders and they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam and he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel, verse 9, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, which is another name for Israel, is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings and taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him and there was no foreign God with him. And so God is saying, I called Israel to myself. That's why they're called the chosen people. They were chosen by God. They didn't choose God. God chose them. And God made eternal, everlasting, covenantal promises to Israel that he will always fulfill, past, present, and future. And it's interesting, from God's perspective, he says that he kept Israel as the apple of his eye. The apple of the eye would literally be the pupil of the eye, that God considers Israel the apple of his eye. And he talks about the eagle looking after its young, stirring up the nest, hovering over its young, spreading out its wings, and taking them up and carrying them on eagles' wings. So God loves Israel, and he always will. They are his chosen people. As a matter of fact, in the book of Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 8, we read this. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you, Israel, touches the apple of God's eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am, count- I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will take his possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Aroused against who? Against those nations that touch Israel. Those who touch Israel touch the apple or the pupil of God's eye, he says. And the Lord says, I change not. I am the Lord, I do not change. Israel is still God's covenant chosen people. And as a matter of fact, Israel is the greatest proof that the God of the Bible is real because Israel still exists after 4,000 years. There's no nation that exists after 4,000 years. You may have people in Egypt, but they're not the same Egyptians that were there when Moses was there with the Pharaoh Ramesses. Uh, and, and Moses was the baby in the basket in the Nile River, and the daughter of Pharaoh went and thought that Moses was a beautiful baby and adopted him. It's different Egyptians. Those Egyptians are long gone. Those Egyptians were, were not Arab peoples. Today, the Arabs are in Egypt, but they were not the ancient people that was there at the time. And so there, there really are. The Babylonians don't exist anymore. The Assyrians don't exist anymore. But the Jews still exist today. They're the only people that still exist after 4,000 years that have their own language, their own culture, their own religion, and their own land that they've been in for 3,500 years. It is the greatest evidence that you could point to people that God exists. God called this nation, and against all odds, they're still here today. Why? Because God said they would be here in their holy land in the last days, and he is going to come back, and he is going to save all of Israel according to Romans chapter 11, 
and the book of Revelation, actually. But if you look at, at, at the history of the people that have messed with, with, with Israel, Egypt got obliterated by their enemies. Remember, the Egyptians were not kind to the Jews. They kept them as slaves there for 400 years. And, and Egypt was conquered, and they were destroyed as an empire. The Assyrians, uh, they carried away captive the ten northern tribes, and they tried to besiege the two southern tribes, and God defended them with the angel that came and killed 185,000 of their soldiers in one night. Uh, and then the Assyrians were swept off the scenes, and they were destroyed by the Babylonians. The Babylonians then carried away the Jews for 70 years into captivity. And the Babylonians were crushed and destroyed by the Medo-Persians. And you could look throughout history. Every nation that came against Israel eventually collapsed or was destroyed by their enemies. Even Rome. The Romans were not kind to the Jews. As you know, if you study history, 70 AD, they destroyed the temple. 132 AD, the Bar Kokhba revolt, they drove the Jews, killed millions of Jewish men and drove the rest of them. Uh, and that was the great diaspora where the Jews were driven to the ends of the earth. By whom? By the Romans. The Roman Empire fell not by a foreign enemy, but because of the rot uh, of their culture, the moral rot of their culture and the corruption and the sexual perversion, they just imploded. It was the barbarians who came in from the north and from the northeast, and they had no one to fight when they came in and conquered Rome. The great city of Rome was basically without any guards, without any soldiers, because everybody was just totally corrupt, and Rome fell. The great Roman Empire fell, and, the, and so you could look at all of history Today you see it with the Iranians. The Iranians said in 1979, the Ayatollah, they want to destroy the Jews. They want to build a nuclear bomb. They want to drive the Jews in the, into the Mediterranean Sea. Iran is collapsing economically right now. The Israelis just killed their top nuclear scientists. This was the Oppenheimer. They can't make a nuclear bomb unless they get another scientist physicist in order to build a nuclear bomb. Uh, they're set back by years because their top physicist was just assassinated a couple of weeks ago in Tehran, in Iran, and the assassins got away scot-free. Nobody even knew who they were or caught them. Uh, you know, they, they've, they've actually assassinated five prior scientists who are working on this bomb. And these just aren't innocent chemists or physicists. These are people who work for the Revolutionary Guard of Iran. They work for the Ayatollah. They're building a bomb to kill the Jews. That's what they're doing. They're not building a peaceful nuclear program. They, don't, they have all the oil that they need to build it or to have energy and natural gas. They don't need energy. They don't need nuclear power. They're building a bomb. They want to build a bomb to use against Israel. And so uh, Iran is collapsing. Their currency is collapsing. America killed Soleimani. Their top general was killed. Their top scientist was just killed. Uh, and so they're, they're really falling apart right now. Iran is not much of a threat uh, uh, today to Israel, certainly not as, as it was many years ago. They still are a threat, but not nearly as much of a threat as they were. You look at uh, the Palestinians uh, with Yasser Arafat sending suicide bombers to blow up women and children. Well, where are the Palestinians today? Uh, they're, they're in dire poverty in the Gaza Strip. They're in dire poverty in the West Bank. Their economy is collapsing in the Gaza right now. They came against the Jews, and it didn't go well for them, continuing not to go well for the Palestinians. What about Lebanon with Hezbollah right there and Syria on their borders? Syria is embroiled in a civil war with foreign powers carving up the land. And you have proxy wars taking place. You have the Iranians in Syria. You have the Turks in Syria. You have the Americans in Syria. You have the Saudis supporting the Americans in Syria. You have Israel bombing at will whoever they want in Syria unabated. Nobody can stop them. Syria is a total disaster. Syria had been an enemy of Israel. They can't even keep their own country together anymore. What about Lebanon? Beirut, Lebanon just blew up their own port, their own dock. Uh, uh, Lebanon used to be the Paris of the Middle East. It used to be a Christian nation. Matter of fact, so did Damascus. Syria used to be a Christian nation for many hundreds of years. And then the Muslims came in. Then the Muslims wanted to use this as a staging area to destroy the Jews. And now Lebanon is falling apart. Their currency is collapsing. What about Turkey? Turkey now has turned against Israel. Now their economy is collapsing. Everywhere you look around the Middle East, 
Anybody that makes peace with Israel, things go well. What about the Jordanians? Jordan's doing great. They made peace with Israel. Uh, Anwar Sadat, Egypt, made peace with Israel in the late 1970s. Egypt is doing fairly well. But all those nations that have come against the Jews, they're self-destructing. Or they have civil war. Or they just can't get it together economically. And their currencies are collapsing. It, you see it over and over again. What about the Iraqis? Saddam Hussein mouthed off that he was going to kill the Jews. Well, he was beheaded by his own people when they hung him, as I mentioned last week. They didn't tighten the noose enough on purpose so that when they dropped him from a very high level, they knew his head would come off because in that culture, you cut the head off of the leader. You decapitate the leader to show that you have destroyed them. So God is the one who defends his people. In Psalm 125 and verse 1, we read this. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, listen to this, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, and I've been to Jerusalem, it is surrounded by mountains and it's up on a high mountain, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. His people are the Jews. He's talking about Jerusalem. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. What about Psalm 121, verse 3? Speaking to Israel, God says, He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord defends his people. It's his land. They're his chosen people. They're not perfect, just like the church. We're not perfect, but they are still God's people. The, the, the message of the Bible, you don't mess with the Jews. You do not mess with the nation of Israel. Because in essence, when you pick a fight with Israel, you pick a fight with God. Because God is the God of Israel. Uh, the, Sp the Spanish Empire, the Portuguese Empire, they were once great empires uh, in southern Europe. But when they turned against the Jews and they began to persecute the Jews through the Spanish Inquisition in that time where they drove all the Jews out of southern Europe, they declined rapidly as a world power. What about uh, Russia? Russia in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s started to go after the Jews through the pogroms. Uh, and then what happened? You've, you've seen the fiddler, fiddler on the Roof. That's what it's all about, where the pogroms were taking place. And these were the Russians who were turning against the Jews. Large Jewish population in Russia throughout uh, history. And uh, so the Jews were always driven out from, from, from where they were to different places, kind of pushed out and persecuted. Well, then the Bolshevik Revolution took place, and they were taken over by tyrants and by Marxists and by socialists and by communists as a judgment of God against them, uh, possibly because they had persecuted the Jews. Because the timing was right after the pogroms were the worst, the Bolsheviks came in and took over that country and then just destroyed the country and killed 70 or 80 million people. Lenin and Stalin, the two main dictators that founded Russia under communism, killed somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 million of their own people. Uh, gladly. They, they, they don't care about their people. What about the great, the great uh, uh, Britons, uh, uh, Brit Britain or, or the British? Uh, the, the British used to be the friends to the Jews. I mean, there were many great preachers and Bible scholars and archaeologists that came, uh, that were Christians that came out of Great Britain. And, uh, you know, uh, the British libraries are filled with artifacts from Egypt and all over the Middle East when all these Christian archaeologists were going in and they were anthropologists. They were trying to find evidence for the Bible in the 1800s there. Uh, and, and they did. But, but once the British sided with the Arabs when they discovered oil in the Middle East, the British sold the Jews out for, for, for the money. They wanted the oil for the Industrial Revolution. And so from 1917, after World War I was over, uh, pretty much through 1948, the Jews were responsible for the Holy Land with the British mandate after World War I, but they did not protect the Jewish people. They were there in what they called Palestine, there in Jerusalem to keep the peace. They were the uh, allied powers that carved up the Middle East because they were the victors of World War I. 
uh, and yet they favored the Arab peoples, and they would look the other way when the Jews were emigrating back to Israel through Aliyah, coming back to the Holy Land, primarily from, from Europe prior to the Holocaust, and the British were not kind to the Jewish people. They didn't defend them. They didn't protect them. To some degree, they allied themselves with the Arab nations that were again trying to kill all the Jews and drive them into the Mediterranean Sea. And then, after the Holocaust and after World War II, they did not help the Jews. And they were right there in the Middle East. They were the power, the Western power in Israel in 1948 when the Jews declared their independence as a nation again, May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation again, and the British looked the other way and did not help them when five or six Muslim Arab nations came and attacked them. Uh, no one stood with them. Truman actually helped them out a little bit, but it was on a secret deal because it was just so crazy. The anti-Semitism is unbelievable. Even after the Holocaust was known and what was done to the Jews was known, Nobody wanted to stand with the Jews because nobody wanted to tick off the Arabs because they wanted the Arab oil. Uh, and so that was the end of the British Empire. When they did not help Israel in 1948, their empire collapsed. They lost China. They lost India. The British Empire just fell apart to where now it's just a few countries in the Isles of Britain, Ireland and Scotland and Britain and so forth. Certainly not the great British Empire where the sun never sets on the British Empire. Not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, it was the end of their empire when they turned against the Jews. So you could say this is all coincident. What about the Germans? What about the Germans during the Holocaust? Even if the Germans didn't know about the concentration camps, perhaps they were not complicit in knowing exactly what was done to the Jews. But they certainly did not do anything to help the Jews in Germany. Most Europeans did nothing to help the Jews in Germany as they were being rounded up by the Nazis, as they were being locked into ghettos and then taken on trains to concentration camps and then sent into uh, these showers where they were gassed with Zyklon B and then taken into crematoriums and they were burned by the millions. The Europeans did nothing. The British knew about it. The British did nothing. They knew about their intelligence sources, knew about the concentration camps in 1942, 1943. They never did anything about it. So the Germans even have blood on their hands. Even though they didn't necessarily participate in the Holocaust, they looked the other way. They were not their brother's keeper. These are the Jews. These are God's chosen people. Germans were supposed to be Christians. And they did nothing to save the Jews. Well, what happened to Germany? Germany burned. Berlin burned. Hitler was fascinated with fire. All of his theatrics, he had fire burning. He liked to do his big... Uh, conventions at night because he liked the flames and the fires. He, he was like a uh, pyromania. He loved to see cities burn and he loved to see his enemies burn. Well, Berlin burned with fire because the Allied bombers, the Americans and the British bombers just obliterated Berlin with the bombings that happened night after night. And all of the major cities of Germany were burned to the ground. Germany was destroyed. The Germans suffered greatly as a people. They lost the war. And then there was a wall put up right in the middle of Germany. Half of Germany went to the Russians. They became communist uh, on East Berlin. West Berlin uh, became part of the uh, Allied nations. And, uh, and so many people, Germans, were kept on one side of the fence and they couldn't talk to their loved ones until the Berlin Wall came down in 1989, I believe it was, 89 or 90. Uh, they couldn't have any contact with their loved ones on the other side of Germany. And people say, well, why would God do that to them? Well, look what they did to the Jews. They allowed the Jews to go into the concentration camps and to the ovens of the Holocaust, and they did nothing to stop it. And so you cannot mess with Israel. History is replete with these examples. It's interesting that France today is more anti-Semitic than it's ever been. Uh, the Anti-Defamation League and these people that look at persecution of Jews around the world are trying to sound the alarm, saying anti-Semitism is on the rise in Europe. It's never been this bad since the 1930s. They said it looks a lot like Europe looks a lot like, especially Western Europe, like what it did right before Hitler came to power and the Nazi regime came in, where 
not only are people apathetic to the Jews, but they're starting to actually be chauvinistic against the Jews and biased against the Jews. And uh, France is beginning to suffer terribly. The worst anti-Semitism in Europe is in France. Uh, Notre Dame burned to the you know burned down last year. That is the Notre Dame is the seat of medieval Christianity, and it burned, and nobody really knows how it burned or why it burned, but it burned uh, in 2019. In 2015, uh, the Muslims attacked Paris, France, and killed, how many people did they kill? 137 dead? Uh, Very interesting, if you study the Paris attacks of November 13th, 2015, I was actually in an airplane flying uh, over uh, uh, France at that time, because we were landing in, we were coming uh, from Israel, and we were flying, uh, and we were kind of cresting over Europe at the time, and people started getting these notifications on their phones that, that there was this attack that was going on right now on the ground in Paris, France. And of course, it was the Muslims. There was a suicide bomber that blew himself up at a stadium with a bunch of people in a soccer uh, match. But the worst was that they went in with machine guns into the Bataclan Theater where there was 1,500 people there watching this American band, this satanic American band, by the way, that actually they were singing a song to Satan. This is unbelievable, but it's true. They, this band was there in Paris, France. They were singing a song to Kiss the Devil was the name of the song. And as soon as they finished this song called Kiss the Devil, these Muslims came in with AK-47s and began to mow all of these concert goers uh, down. And they killed 137 there in Paris, France on that day. And then they were eventually, the uh, killers were eventually killed themselves. They were, they were suicide killers, but they didn't bomb themselves. They shot people. So it's, it's just one of those things you just have to understand. You, 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 you have to consider God's people. And then America, we came in after World War II, and we were the victors of World War II. Europe was destroyed. Europe had turned their backs on the Jews. Pretty much all of Europe did. But America supported the Jews after 1948. Truman supported the Jews. We began to be the only nation in the world that would deal with the Jews, that would help the Jews, that would supply the military uh, uh, supplies so they could defend themselves. And the Jews went on to fight many wars, not just the War of Independence. They had the 67 War, the 73 War, Yom Kippur War, etc. Uh, and, and, and America, since we began to be friends and do trade deals with the Jews, America became the world's leading power. We were not the world's leading power, remember? We were in the Depression in the 1930s. Uh, But after World War II, after we became an ally with Israel in their nascent new birth as a nation, we became the world's superpower. And so make sure that you're voting for politicians who support Israel. So back to where we started in verse 1. Woe to the land shadowed with buzzing wings. Now the commentators really aren't sure what this is referring to. It could be birds, it could be locusts, it could be mosquitoes. Uh, there's a lot of water in, uh, in this area, uh, but we're not sure. But it says, Woe to the land shadowed with buzzing wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. So this would be ancient Kush, modern-day Ethiopia or uh, Sudan, which sends ambassadors by sea, even in vessels of reed on the waters saying, go swift messengers to a nation tall and smooth of skin, to a people terrible from their beginning onward, a nation powerful and treading down, whose land the rivers divide. And so Bible scholars, you know, really are not sure. Different scholars have different opinions of what this is exactly talking about. Um, It's likely referring to ambassadors that were sent Uh, perhaps from Ethiopia to Israel seeking an alliance or uh, somehow there was a connection between Israel and Ethiopia when the Assyrians were coming to attack this part of the world and the Ethiopians wanted to ally themselves uh, to have some protection. Verse 3 says, all of the inhabitants of the world. So now he's going from what happened 2,700 years ago to really looking toward Uh, the future. He's saying all of the inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth, so no longer just speaking to Israel or speaking to Ethiopia. When he lifts up a banner on the mountains, you see it. 
And when he blows a trumpet, you hear it. For so the Lord said to me, I will take my rest, and I will look from my dwelling place like clear heat in sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. So this is speaking about a, uh, uh, a judgment that's going to come. He's, God is calling to all the inhabitants of the world to uh, behold this or to observe this. And God is saying he's going to take his rest. What that means is he's going to pretty much remove his covering. He's not going to protect them anymore from their enemies. Uh, it says, I will look at him from my dwelling place like clear heat and sunshine. So it's going to be like the judgment of the heat of the sunshine against them. Uh, like a cloud of dew and, and in the heat of the harvest, which would have been a judgment against a, an agrarian nation where you have rain or you have dew that could spoil the crops right before the harvest, or you have blistering heat at the harvest time. It destroys the crops that are being grown. So again, it's speaking of the judgment of God. Verse 5, For before the harvest, when the bud is perfect and the sour grape is ripening in the flower, he will both cut off the sprigs with pruning hooks and take away and cut down the branches. They will be left together for the mountain birds of prey, and for the beasts of the earth, the birds of prey will summer on them, and all the beasts of the earth will winter on them. So again, it's a judgment against the land. It's a judgment against their crops. Uh, the wild animals are going to come in and take over the land that used to be uh, irrigated and, and grown, the crops grown, and so forth. They'll be overrun with, uh, with birds of prey and beasts of the earth. Verse 7, in that time, a present will be brought to the Lord of hosts. So now we know that he's speaking of the last days, the, the, the end times, or the millennial reign of Christ, more specifically. In that time, a present will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth of skin, and from a people terrible from their beginning onward, a nation powerful and treading down, whose land the rivers divide, to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts to Mount Zion. And so in the last days, there is going to be this, um, there's going to be this coming of people into Israel in order to worship Jesus. And that's what he's referring to. That there's going to be a time when these nations, even this nation of Cush, the peoples are going to come to Israel, to Mount Zion, that's Jerusalem, to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts. For what purpose? To bring a gift or a sacrifice, or an offering. And we know that Jesus is going to be ruling at that time, and all the nations of the earth are going to rule him, all are, are going to be ruled by him. They're going to worship him. All of the nations are going to recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father during the millennial reign of Christ. We read about this in, for example, Zechariah chapter 14. And verse 16, I'll read this to you. It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, this is after the tribulation period, shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. Because at this point, God will be tabernacling among his people. Verse 17, it shall be that whichever of the families do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague, which the Lord strikes the nations, who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. And in that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So it's a future time when Jesus Christ will be ruling and reigning over the earth and all the nations of the earth, even Israel's former enemies, including Egypt, will come and worship Jesus when he's the king ruling for a thousand years in Jerusalem. In Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11, Malachi also talks about this. He says, From the rising of the sun, even to its going down, 
my name shall be called great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And that will be literally fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes back and takes up his throne to rule and reign over the earth for a thousand years from Jerusalem. Chapter 19. Now this is a proclamation against Egypt. Again, another ancient enemy um, of the Jews. But most of this prophecy is most likely set for the future, as you're going to see here. Again, during, uh, likely during the time leading up to uh, and into the tribulation period. Verse 1 of chapter 19. The burden or the oracle or the judgment against Egypt. Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. The idols of Egypt will totter at his presence and the heart of Egypt will melt in its midst. And so when the Lord comes to judge, uh, the idols are going to fall over, the idols that the Egyptians worship. The heart of Egypt is, is going to melt. Verse 2, and the idols, of course, represent the false gods of the nations, the other gods that were worshipped. Verse 2, he says, I will set Egyptians against Egyptians. In other words, civil war. Everyone will fight against his brother and everyone against his neighbor. City against city and kingdom against kingdom. This is very likely, uh, it's possible that some of this was fulfilled in ancient times, but this is very likely speaking of the tribulation period, when really it's going to be a sign of the times, of the end times, that nation will rise against nation, uh, and uh, brother will rise against brother. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. As a matter of fact, Jesus warned us of this in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said this in Matthew 24, verse 6. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of sorrows or of birth pangs. And so Jesus is saying, pay attention. When you start to see wars and rumors of wars, when you start to see nations rising up against nations, when you start to see kingdoms against kingdoms, it's interesting that nations against nations literally means ethnoses against ethnoses or ethnic groups against other ethnic groups. Do we see any ethnic groups against any other ethnic groups in our day today? Have you ever heard of Black Lives Matter? So th this is a sign of the times, and this is a sign of the judgment of God upon us when we have civil war, when we're in internal strife against each other. And this is not just happening here, it's happening right now all over the world. Every nation in the world is having these uprisings right now for social justice and so forth. Races and nations and ethnos against ethnos is happening. Wars and rumors of wars. We've never had so many people killed. You go back a hundred years starting with World War I, more people have been killed since 1914 through 2014. There's never been as many people killed in a hundred year period if you could take all the wars of all of history of man, there's been more people killed in that 100-year period from World War I, 1914 to 2014 than all of the casualties of war for all of history combined up until now, the historians tell us. Do we think that's a sign of the, that we might be living in the last times? And, and many military experts believe World War III is just around the corner. And just like they thought World War I would be the war to end all wars, and then World War II came on its heels and was far worse, far worse than World War I is, World War III, with all of the weapons that we have today, uh, it, 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 mankind is barely going to survive. Uh, and this is all going to go down 
during the tribulation period. But countries and nations turning against themselves is a judgment of God upon that nation. Civil war is a judgment of God upon a nation. In verse 3 we read, back in Isaiah 19, 3, The spirit of Egypt will fail in its midst. I will destroy their counsel, and they will consult their idols and their charmers, their mediums and their sorcerers, and the Egyptians I will give into the hand of a cruel master, and a fierce king will rule over them, says the Lord, the Lord of hosts. Now, Egypt was the seat of ancient magic. Magic was founded in Egypt. Idolatry was founded in Babylon. And so Egypt was the seat of magic. It's where all magic finds its roots. All magic that's practiced today. They study the ancient writings of the Egyptians because they had secret knowledge from the gods or the demons because they were in contact with the demons. They were worshiping the demons and they received spells and curses and so forth. And so what it's saying is, is that when Egypt is judged at this time, they're going to consult their idols and their charmers and their mediums. And in other words, going after other gods. And, uh, and, and the Lord is just going to judge them and bring a cruel master over them. The Bible condemns astrology. The Bible condemns sorcery. The Bible condemns witchcraft and the practice of witchcraft. That would include Wiccans and paganisms, or paganists, the, the people that practice paganism. Uh, magic, those who practice magic and cast spells and curses. And, and by the way, witchcraft is the fastest growing religion today in America. There was an LA Times article in 2019, summer of 2019, maybe summer of 2018 that I read, that said without a doubt Christianity is waning America is no longer a Christian nation if you look at the adherents who practice religion. Uh, Witchcraft is the fastest growing religion in America and continues to increase to be the fastest growing religion in America. Satanism has never been more popular as it is today in America. And Satanism is growing by leaps and bounds because of the uh, interest of the young people on the internet and so forth, thinking it's cool to be a Satanist or whatever. Uh, We've never seen... So much witchcraft and Satanism practiced out in the open in the history of our, uh, of our country. And now it's normal. It's accepted uh, by our society. But God uh, forbids the practice of witchcraft and astrology. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 19, for example, in verse 31, God says, Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits, Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Mediums would be those who you would go to to contact the dead. For example, psychics, psychic hotlines where they say that they're going to contact the dead. Or they're going to read your palm and tell you your future. Or they're going to read a little glass, a little ball, a crystal ball and look into the ball and then tell you what's going to come. Or a basin of water and they're going to see a vision on the water and tell you the future. These things are forbidden by God. This is secret knowledge. And these demons can't tell you the future. They don't know the future. They can manipulate the future by using people, but they they don't know the future. In Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 27, God says this. A man... Or a woman who is a medium or who has a familiar spirit shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. So for the Jews, they were not to even tolerate this among them so that it wouldn't spread. This idolatry, this worship of other gods. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, and and there are several places uh, in the Bible that speak about this. But Deuteronomy chapter 18, one more example in verse 9. When you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. That would be to offer human sacrifice. Or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, 
or one who calls up the dead. You know, people are getting around and having seances all the time now. They think it's like a popular thing to call up the dead. What do you think you're going to get when you sit around a candle and hold hands, hands and chant and ask for the dead to appear? You're going to get something, and it's going to be straight from the pit of hell. It's not going to be your old uncle coming to visit you to give you a message from the grave. It's going to be a lying, familiar spirit who's going to deceive you and lead you astray. He says in verse 12, For all those, or for all who do these things, are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you will dispossess. Listened to the soothsayers and the diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. And God has not changed his mind. We may not burn witches at the stake. We may not go out there and lock them up. Uh, nor should we. It's America. We don't, we don't kill the people who practice religions that disagree with the Bible, as the Jews did in Old Testament times. God was trying to preserve his people so it wouldn't penetrate his people's belief systems. Um, but certainly Christians ought not to open that door, playing with Ouija boards or seances or any of these things. I talk to people who are younger than me because I don't really know what's going on with the younger people so much. I'm kind of an old guy now. Uh, but these 20-year-olds, they're into all of this stuff. They're all smoking pot, super, super strong marijuana. Like I talked to a buddy of mine who's, I think he's 30 years old. He works for the gas company. He's got a great job. He's a fine young man. His dad's a pastor. And he tells me, he says, everyone I know who's not a practicing Christian smokes pot, who's in their 20s. Everybody smokes pot, he said. You be blown away. And the pot that they smoke is with these little vaping pens, and it is so strong that you'll just take this little tiny thing that's the size of half of a kernel of corn, and it's like a wax, and it's like pure THC, and you smoke it, and you're blown out of your mind for six to eight hours. And he says these people carry these pens with them all day long and smoke all day long. Um, and, and a lot of these young people are getting into astrology and into witchcraft. It really goes hand in hand. When you start using mind-altering psychedelic drugs, you open yourself up like the shamans of old, to the spirit realm. But those spirits are not good spirits. They're not good angels. You're going to open the door to demons. And God is trying to protect us. I believe America uh, has possibly crossed a line with, with where we've gone with all of the hallucinogenics that we've legalized and pot and everything else, and then all of the witchcraft and then the Satanism. We have opened Pandora's box. And the mythology of Pandora's boxes. Once you open Pandora's box, you can't get those devils back into the box. It's like trying to put the genie back into the bottle. So what is God to do? He judges the nation that goes this way. So back in Isaiah 19, continuing here in verse 5, and this is a fascinating prophecy here, a future prophecy. The waters will fail from the sea, and the river will be wasted and dried up. The river of Egypt is the Nile River. So he's talking about the Nile River drying up. The waters will fail from the sea. The river will be wasted and dried up because the waters that flowed into the sea were the Nile. The Nile River fly, flows through Egypt, actually from Uganda in uh, Lake Victoria is, 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 is where the waters of the Nile come from. And then they flow through Ethiopia and Sudan uh, into Egypt, and then into the Mediterranean Sea. So God is predicting that the Nile River in the last days is going to dry up. He says the rivers will turn foul. The brooks of defense will be emptied and dried up. The reeds and the rushes will wither. The papyrus reeds by the river, this is speaking again of the Nile, by the mouth of the river, and everything sown by the river, all the crops that are... Uh, that are watered by the river through the irrigation and the, and, and the annual flooding, will wither and be driven away and be no more. The fishermen also will mourn, and those who lament will cast hooks into the river, and they will languish who spread nets on the water. More, moreover, those who work in fine flax and those who weave fine fabric will be ashamed, and its foundations will be broken, and all who make wages will be troubled of soul." 
Now, the amazing thing is, is this never happened until modern times, that the Nile River started to dry up. And the reason that it's happening now is because in the 1960s and completed in 1970, the Russians helped to finance this uh, Aswan Dam, this big dam over the Nile River right there in Egypt, and to prevent the annual flooding of the Nile. But what happened was, is the fishermen and all of the people that grow crops realized that all of that flooding was necessary for them to have fertile ground to grow all their crops and to have healthy fisheries and so forth. And so the Egyptians have suffered uh, since they created this dam in order to provide hydroelectric power. Uh, but that's not even the worst of it. Now, today, there is the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam that is nearly completed. And yes, I use the word dam in church. You heard me right. The Aswan Dam. Just seeing if you're awake out there. And the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. Now, what's interesting about this Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam is this is not the Egyptians building this dam. It's the Ethiopians building it back on the headwaters of the Nile River. And the Ethiopians will have the power to completely cut off the Nile River in order to generate enough electricity for all of Ethiopia. But it would basically dry out the Nile River downriver to Egypt. As a matter of fact, you've probably heard about it. I don't have time to go into news articles tonight. I was going to share some news articles with you. But for the sake of time, I'll let you do the homework on this. It's all over the news today. The last couple of months, it's in the news. If you look up what's going on with the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, there's about to be a war between Egypt and Ethiopia because the Ethiopians are saying we're going to finish this dam whether Egypt wants it or not whether Sudan wants it or not we're going to take this water it runs it's the Blue Nile River it runs right through it's the headwaters for the Nile that runs through Egypt we're going to stop the Nile River up so we can provide electricity for our people uh, and we don't care about Egypt. So the Egyptians are like, well, we're going to bomb you and we're going to blow your dam up. That's what's happening right now. Matter of fact, President Trump in October said, yeah, don't be surprised if the Egyptians blow this dam up. He says, I wouldn't be surprised because the Egyptians are so angry that the Ethiopians are cutting off the water flow of the Nile River exactly as God predicted would be the case in the last days. Very, very interesting. It's going to happen. God said it's going to happen, and it's going to happen. And actually, it's happening, very likely it's happening right before eyes. The dam is supposed to be completed in 2023, this Ethiopian dam. Verse 11 continues. <clears throat> Surely the princes of Zoan are fools. Zoan was once one of the ancient grand cities of Egypt in Isaiah's day along the Egyptian delta the Nile Delta in Egypt. He says, The princes of Zoan are fools. Pharaoh's wise counselors give foolish counsel. How do you say to Pharaoh, I'm the son of the wise, the son of ancient kings. Where are they? Where are your wise men? Let them tell you now, and let them know what the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt. The princes of Zoan have become fools. The princes of Noph are deceived. Naf was another major city uh, in, in uh, Isaiah's time. They have also deluded Egypt, those who are the mainstay of its tribes. The Lord has mingled a perverse spirit in her midst. They have, they have caused Egypt to err in all her work. As a drunken man staggers in his vomit, neither will there be any work for Egypt, which the head or tail, palm branch or bulrush may do. So this is going to be a result of when the Nile River is cut off. It's, it's going to basically decimate the agrarian culture and the fisheries uh, of Egypt at this time. He says in verse 16, In that day Egypt will be like women. They will be afraid and fear because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he wages, waves over it. And the land of Judah will be a terror to Egypt. Everyone who makes mention of it will be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he has determined against it. So it's a judgment against Egypt in the last days. Uh, and God is going to use Judah uh, to be a terror to them. 
and uh, God is going to do this. But it's not the end for Egypt. There's, there's actually like um, a postscript to this judgment. In the last days, God is going to bless Egypt. It's amazing. We read this in verse 18. He says, In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and will swear by the Lord of hosts. One will be called the city of destruction. And in that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. And it will be a, for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they will cry to the Lord because of their oppressors, and he will send them a Savior and a mighty one, and he will deliver them. So this is speaking of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus. When Jesus returns, he's the Savior of the world. He's the mighty one of Israel. And in this day, Egypt is actually going to cry out to, 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 to God, and God is going to help them. And then they're going to swear by the Lord of hosts, like Egypt is going to become saved. Like they're going to come to know the, the, God of Egypt, uh, the God of Israel. They're no longer going to be uh, uh, Muslims or worshiping Allah or worshiping Islam, practicing Islam. He says in verse 21, then the Lord will be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. This has never happened throughout all of, uh, of, of Egyptian history. This is all future. He says, the Lord, they will know the Lord in that day. They will make sacrifice and offering. Yes, they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. So this is speaking of what we read about in Zechariah 14 and Malachi 1. During the thousand-year reign of Christ, when all the nations of the earth are going to come every year up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles to come and bring sacrifices to King Jesus. And there will be a temple there. Ezekiel uh, 40, 41, 42 talks about the uh, millennial temple where God is going to reign, Jesus is going to reign, and uh, likely King David is going to be there, resurrected. King David will be there uh, as the king, you know, the, the leader of the Jews, kind of the prince of the Jews, but Jesus will be the king of the Jews, and David will be there, kind of, uh, you know, uh, it, it's an amazing thing if you read what's coming uh, in the future for, for the land of Israel. But God is going to basically make peace with the Egyptians. The Egyptians are going to get saved in this day. He says in verse 22, the Lord will strike Egypt. He will strike them, and he will heal them, and they will return to the Lord and he will be entreated by them and heal them. Remember, God has a heart and a compassion for the Egyptians. They took care of his son when Jesus went in there with Mary and Joseph. Uh, they went to Egypt to hide uh, from King Herod for six or seven years until Herod died. And then they brought baby Jesus back, who was a young boy at that time, uh, back to Nazareth. And so perhaps because of the kindness that they showed Jesus during that time, God is going to save them in the last days. He's going to strike them, but he's going to heal them. And not just Egypt. Verse 23, it says, In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. Remember, the Egyptians and the Assyrians were at war at this time. Everybody was at war against the Assyrians at this time that Isaiah was writing this. And Isaiah is saying in the future, they're going to be friends. They're going to be allies. Not only are they going to be friends, they're going to be trading with one another, have trade routes, highways. But they're also going to come in to worship the Lord. In that day, Israel, verse 24 will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Wow, all these people that have been enemies for thousands of years are going to be friends again, and they're all going to be brothers, and they're going to all worship King Jesus at this time. Isn't the Bible amazing? It tells us all of this before it happens. And as we have the uh, benefit of hindsight, and we look back over history, and we see so much of the Bible already fulfilled, we know that all of these scriptures also, and all of these prophecies, will one day be fulfilled. And what this means, you know, Assyria is modern-day Iraq, modern-day Iran, and so forth. Uh, what this means is that there's going to be no more Islam. Islam is no longer going to be, Allah is no longer going to be worshipped in the Middle East. The whole Middle East is going to worship God, and the whole Middle East is going to worship Jesus at this time. What a beautiful promise that we have to look forward to.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the prophecies and the promises, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you watch over your people. You watch over your holy city, Jerusalem, Lord. That you uh, carry them on eagles' wings, Father, and that the Jews are the apple of your eye. Help us to be those who bless Israel, Lord, for you said you will bless those who bless them. Lord, we ask that you would continue to give us righteous leadership in our country, Lord, that you would turn the hearts of the people back to yourself, Father God, that you would awaken your church, Lord God, so that we might begin to shine the light into the darkness that is permeating our land, the spiritual darkness, Father God. Father, we ask that you'd continue to bring peace to Jerusalem. You say pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Lord. So we pray for the peace of Jerusalem tonight. We thank you for the great work that you're doing among the Jewish people by bringing them back into their holy land, Father. And we thank you for all of the Jewish people who are coming to faith in Mashiach Yeshua, the Mashiach Jesus Christ, Lord. And we pray you'd continue to do a great revival, Lord, and a great outpouring of your Holy Spirit among your people, Israel, today, Lord, that many, many would come to know your Son as their Savior. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.